Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. The Old Testament book of Proverbs and chapter number 6. Proverbs and chapter number 6. We are thankful to be here tonight as we observe the Lord's Supper. And this is an appropriate message as we try to examine our own hearts to make sure that we're as right with God as possible. Now, oftentimes when we try to examine ourselves, we may just use our list or we may come with an idea of what we think. But it is always best to go back to the Bible and see what God has to say upon a matter and then compare ourselves to what God has to say. Remember that his thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are way beyond our ways. That we can't compare ourselves to the way that we think it should be. It should always be upon what God himself has stated. So with that, let's see what God has to state among this in the book of Proverbs chapter number six. The book of Proverbs chapter six, and if you don't mind, notice with me in verse number 16. The book of Proverbs chapter six, and in verse number 16, the word of God says this, these six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, an heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift into running into mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark this powerful phrase that we find in the book of Proverbs chapter number six? Proverbs chapter six and verse 16, notice the phrase, these six things doth the Lord hate. These six things doth the Lord hate. And with this, we want to see what God has to say about what he hates compared to the things that we often think that he hates. Let's see once again what the Bible has to say. Six things doth the Lord hate. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today, Lord, I'm very conscious that we need you. We need to see you high, holy, and lifted up. We need to see you as a perfect God. We need to see you as our standard. We need to see you as holy, holy, holy. And as we do that, we need to have a clear vision of ourselves. And we know that comes by your Holy Spirit. So we're asking that your Holy Spirit would have great liberty tonight. That we would be able to be honest with ourselves and be honest with you. And allow the spotlight of your Holy Spirit to shine upon even the dark crevices of our hearts. To, that we could be as honest with you and that you could be as thorough with us. And that we could take this time to get right with you because of what you've done for us already through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I'm asking, Lord, that you would let this be clear and let it be a help. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
In Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16, it starts off this passage with a very interesting expression. It says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. The expression of six things, yea, seven, is an idiomatic Hebrew expression. It is something that appears in the Bible quite often. In fact, the prophet Amos used it quite often. The expression implies that the list is not exhaustive, meaning these aren't the six things, period. The six things, yea, there are seven, carries the idea that this is a list of six things, but they're not the only six things. There are more things that God says, but God is taking time to pinpoint exactly what he wants. Oftentimes, we develop our own list of abominations. You know, it's very easy to hate the sin that you're not involved in. And that's often what we do. We like to point at other people. But look at those. They do this. Oh, look at those people over there. They're like this. Oh, look at those people. It is very easy to hate other people's sin. It is much harder for us to hate our own sin. By the way, just (laughs) to burst someone's bubble, we're all sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. Every single one of us sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This isn't an idea that I'm perfect and you're not. This is the idea that God is perfect and we all fall short. And we need to line ourselves and examine ourselves up to God's standard and allow God to be honest and thorough with us. And let's see what God has to say. Now again, that word abominations is a very interesting word. It does carry the idea that to God, it's very loathsome. It's, it's hateful. It's something that makes God sick. It aggravates God. Have you ever had that pet sin that when you look at it, it just bothers you. It just rankles you and you just almost can't concentrate on something else. That's just, well, this is what this list is like to God. You know, sometimes we have our little petty sins and we like to think that they're cute. We like to think, oh, well, you know, it's not that big deal. We love to classify sins as big sins. And small sins. And by the way, small sins are always the sins that we do. We don't do the big sins. We, we just have small sins in our life. I don't have any big things in our life. Well, this list actually turns that all around. Let's examine this list and see what God says are quote unquote big sins. Let's look and see what God calls an abomination. Let's see what sins that God hates. Notice the very first thing on this list. It says in verse 16, These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. A proud look. This phrase is very important. This is a similar expression of someone looking down their nose at someone else. God hates pride. God hates hates all pride. God hates your pride. God hates my pride. What is pride? Pride is quite simply a false view of oneself in the light of the Lord. A false view of oneself in the light of the Lord. It carries the further idea that is a lack of dependence upon the Lord. It's a lack of dependence upon the Lord. By the way, we often classify pride in one major way, 
but there's actually a couple ideas of it. First of all, we see the idea of pride as someone not depending on the Lord. Look at how great I am. I'm most wonderful. Everyone acknowledge my greatness. I don't need God. I don't need anybody. I could do it all myself. That's an easy pride to identify because it just smacks off of them. But you know, at the same time, another form of pride, which is just as abominable to God, is someone that says, I can't do anything. I'm worthless. I just can't. I don't even know why I exist. I just shouldn't even try because, uh. Both of those are a lack of dependence upon God. One is a self-dependence. The other one is just not depending on God and just feeling like they just can't do anything. So why try? I'm not even going to depend on God because I'm going to fail. Both of those are pride. Both of those are an abomination of God. A lack of dependence on God. God wants us to depend upon him. God desires for us to trust him and depend upon him. Pride, by the way, is the father of all sin. Because if we're depending upon the Lord, then the other sins will not exist. It's when we start depending upon ourselves, trusting ourselves, or lack of trusting God at all and I'm not going to do anything. Both of those lead to the idea of more sins. Most of all, excusing ourselves. I'm justified in my belief of not trusting God because of this. I'm justified in not trusting God because of this. And we all have our excuses. But if you boil them down and stop making excuses, God hates pride. God wants us to be obedient and dependent upon him. Whenever we depend on something else other than God, we open ourselves up to ignoring God's laws. God hates pride. It's one of the things that we try to work with Christians in breaking themselves of saying. For example, we try to say that God hates pride and then we turn around and say, don't worry, I'm proud of you, son. Isn't that a confusing message if we try to say that God hates pride and then we turn around and say, I'm proud of you? Why are we saying that we are proud of um, and, and ex and expressing a thankfulness for something that God hates. Well, you say, well, what am I supposed to say? Well, you change your vocabulary. It is better to say, I'm thankful to the Lord for you. So your kid did a good job in the ballerina play. Woohoo! they danced around and they were the best tree on stage. Instead of saying, I'm proud of you, it's better to say, I'm thankful to the Lord for you. I'm thankful to the Lord that you did a good job. I'm thankful to the Lord that you had this opportunity. Now we're showing thanks to God and showing that our dependence and trust is upon him. Why is it such a big deal to change that vocabulary? Because this is on the list of the things that God hates. In fact, it's number one. God hates pride. Whether it's a false view of oneself thinking I'm greater or a false view of oneself that says that I can't do anything. Both of those are the place where I don't depend upon God. I trust in something else and God wants us to depend upon him. May we pretty much say that the number one thing that God hates is that when we don't depend upon him, when we refuse to trust in him, when we refuse to obey him because we don't trust him. You understand this goes and starts a whole slew of sins. This very first idea 
that I won't trust in God. I mean, think about where this goes. <laughs> I don't trust in God, so I don't need to read his word because I'm not trusting in him. How can you tr- tell if someone's trusting in God? Are they obeying him? Are they reading his word? You know, this opens up a floodgate of all other sins. Do I trust in God or do I not? If I'm trusting in anything else other than God, it is pride. And God hates pride. Notice there's a second thing in this list. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue. God hates lying. One of the Ten Commandments actually states this. Thou shall not bear false witness. Why did God give that Ten Commandment in the first place? Because God is always truthful in what he says. God is always truthful in what he says. We need to make sure that we are honest in all of our dealings to be a reflection of who God is. God in his character, that's one of his attributes. God cannot lie. All of God's statements are perfect and true. In fact, hold your finger here. Let me show you a couple things about what the Bible has to say about lying. Notice with me Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Notice with me verse 29. We're going to try to hit a couple different verses uh, through some of these because we want to build a case. We want to show that throughout the Bible that God is consistent. Notice with me Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. It says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Notice this, and grieve not the spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Do you see what it says right here? It says that God hates lying so much that when we lie, it grieves, it breaks God's heart. God hates lying. Let no corrupt communication come out of the mouth. In fact, the communication that should proceed of our mouth should be used to build people up, not to tell lies and try to take care of ourselves. In fact, notice with me verse 25 up above Ephesians uh, 4, 25. Wherefore, put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we're members one to another. Here, notice this. Lying is a betrayal of trust. If there's trust, we could be honest with each other. One of our problems in our society is that we have a society full of liars. It is lying is acceptable and promoted in America. That... Whatever it takes to get you to the spot that you want, you're allowed to lie. And we practice lying. I meant from the very beginning, our kids learn how to lie. Who stole the cookie from the cookie jar? I don't know what you're talking about. Cookie crumbs going on all over their mouth. We're born liars. We lie to get out of trouble. Did you break that window? Uh Uh-uh. We lie to get out of trouble. We lie because... We don't want to get further trouble. We try to manipulate the truth. All of this is lying. I mean, we're so much of a culture of lying that we built holidays off of lying. Whether it's talking about a big fat guy in a suit that 
goes around the world. Do you think God thinks it's cute when we start lying to our kids? By the way, one day your kids will grow up and they'll find out that you lied to them the whole time. And if they can't trust you in this, they'll find out that they can't trust you in other things too. God does not think it's cute. Did God, you imagine God up in heaven? Oh, that's just a lie to a child. It's all right. Especially when God puts this in abomination list. One of the things that God hates is a lying tongue. Every untruth is a multiple sin. The motive behind the lie is sin. By the way, it's pride. <laughs> Whether it's boasting. Let's say that someone's lying and I took, got a fish this big. That's pride and arrogance. You take something like excuses. That's pride and cowardness. Take gossip, hatred, and jealousy. All of those lines become a multiple sin. God hates lying. Turn back with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs chapter 6, let's see what else is on this list. So, in Proverbs chapter 6 and verse number 16. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look. A lying tongue. And hands that shed innocent blood. Why is this a big deal? Because God created life and life is precious to God. And John 8, 44 Jesus is talking about Satan, that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. You say, he was a murderer from the beginning. Remember what he did to Eve? He beguiled her. Little did Eve realize that as she listened to the serpent, that her firstborn was going to grow up to be a murderer. Think about that. When Satan lied to Eve... And she took the fruit, disobeyed God's only rule, one rule, and she disobeyed it. That she did not realize that her firstborn son was going to be a murderer. You know, we don't realize the consequences that we have. This very Satan was a liar from the beginning. And his desire was to help other people to be just like him, murderers. God loves life. He created life. Hands that shed innocent blood is an abomination to him. Notice what else we find in this list. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Why is this so hateful to God? Because the heart of God is pure. The heart of Jesus is pure. Do you know that Adam lived long enough to see what sin had done to his ruined race? And to get to the place where he lived to the place where he realized that as far as man concerned, the Bible says this, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were evil Continually, Genesis 6, 5. Adam lived long enough to see what happened to his sinful race, the race that he was the progenitor of, and to watch as every man did what was evil continually. 
Think about that type of world where everyone's evil. The wicked imaginations. What do you think about? Do you know that one of the abominations on this list is not what you do on the outward? It's your thought life. Do you know that God can hate your thought life? Because all you're thinking about is evil, sinful things. What would it be like if we could invent a machine just to plug into your brain and everything that you thought would be recorded and played over speakers? How would you like that recording played for everyone? How would you like everyone to see what's in your mind? Well, may I remind you that God knows everything that you think about? God knows what you spend your time to think about. You've got a little bit of time. You've got a break time between this job and this job. What are you thinking about? What is your brain concentrating on? What's in your mind? The Bible says that God hates a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. God can even hate our thought life. What do we do about that thought life? Well, hold your finger here. Let's look in Philippians. Do you know that you could train your thought life? You could train yourself with the Lord's help to think correctly. Philippians chapter number four. Philippians chapter four. Notice with me Philippians four verse six. Be careful for nothing. That word careful carries with it the idea of anxiety, being worried. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. By the way, let's go back up here. Be careful for nothing. Do you know that you're not even supposed to worry? Worrying is part of that evil imaginations. You start to worry about what if this doesn't work out? How is this going to solve? What is this going to fall apart? The Bible tells us not to worry. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. How do we take care of this? First of all, by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, can you be thankful for what God has given to you? Even your trials, can you be thankful let your requests be known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, thank on these things. Here God gives us more of an explanation. We can actually have our thought life under God's submission and control and it be pleasing to him. But we have to work at it. When those thoughts come in, you have to choose what do I do with those thoughts. If I start to get worried, if I start to get anxious, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. When thoughts come to my mind, I should only keep those thoughts that are honest. That means things that you know is true, not what you believe may be true. We often fill in gaps in our mind. Sometimes we don't have enough uh, information. So we start to plug in information to fill in those holes. For example, I'm a very time conscious person. I just believe that uh, be, being on time is 15 minutes early. And so because I'm time conscious, I have an expectation that everybody else is time conscious. I know they're not. But let me show you how evil and wicked my mind is. That if you're not there 15 minutes early, okay, fine, fine. 
Five minutes before the appointment. Oh, okay, come on. Where are they at? On time. Nope, still not here yet. I know they wouldn't take this seriously. 15 minutes down the road. Oh, come on. They're wasting my time. They don't care about my... I start plugging in. I don't know their motives. They could be having a flat tire. They could be witnessing to someone. But because all I know that is true is that they are not there. I don't know why they're not there. But you see, what I did is I plugged in information in my mind. That is not true. All I know for sure is that they are not there. Do you know that simplifies my thought process if all I do is say, listen, they're not here. That's all I know. I can't speculate. My mind actually becomes clearer because now I'm not frustrated with someone because of some false motive that I'm attributing to them that may not even be true. Whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. That carries the idea of things that are justified. That are, that are uh, just what people deserve. Just whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever thing is good report. You know, bad news fast, travels faster than anything else. And there's a lot of bad news. What good news can you put your mind on? Most of our time... I'm going to put you to the test just to prove this. Tomorrow or sometime this next week, get in an awkward silence with someone. And notice what the very first thing that someone will say is usually a complaint. Stupid weather, it's going to snow again. It's too hot. It's too cold. Can you believe what so-and-so did? Notice that this is our train of thought. Very quickly, we go defaulting to complaining. That's how our minds work. We have to train our minds whatever things are of good report. What good thing can you report to someone? You say, well, then I won't have a conversation. Yeah, probably. It's because all we talk about is bad things. Work tomorrow, you're going to complain about someone at work. So-and-so didn't do their job. They made me do everything. Well, I can't believe they did this. We often think about all the bad news and we have a hard time having discussion about everything good. In fact, I double dog dare you sometime this week, make on purpose to see if you can have a complete conversation of just only saying good things. Amen. We're going to see how corrupt we and our society truly are. Whatsoever things are good, report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Oh, how our minds are prone to wonder. Our minds, once again, there are thoughts in our minds that God hates. Not even our actions, our brain processes. When we could, on purpose, think of all these lovely things. By the way, all of these things are embodied in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we think about the Lord Jesus Christ, we have all of this list right here. He is pure. He is lovely. He is good report. He is just. Man, if you think about Jesus all the day, you'd probably be happier in your day as well. What a wonderful God. Notice back with me in Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. And let's see some more on this list. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16, These six things doth the Lord hate, 
Yea, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift into running into mischief. Notice this. Feet that be swift to running into mischief. Jesus was quick to go run and help someone. We usually run to go get in the midst of some trouble. What trouble can I find myself into? What can I go find? People are eager and in a hurry to go get into trouble, to go find trouble. We, we like trouble. I mean, even if we're a bystander, something bad happens on the car accident, we're all rubbernecking to see what's happening. We like trouble. Trouble's interesting. Trouble gets our curiosity out. And we're swift to run to it. Hey, there is a cute puppy over here. There's my daughter gone. But, and there's a car accident over here. We'd all tend towards the car accident rather than the cute puppy. We, 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 we like bad news. We like to get into trouble. We like mischief. To run that away instead of running to help someone. So many times in our culture today, we have such a bystander mentality because of the internet, social media. So many times somebody could be beaten, ravished, horribly abused. And there's tons of people watching all with their phones trying to get it on the internet so they can get the YouTube blast and no one will help out the bystander. That's the type of culture we are. We enjoy watching others fail. And then we're not willing to help those. We're just showing our own heart and our own direction. It takes a while to twist our arm to finally get us to go help someone out. Oh, but if someone's, uh, if there's trouble somewhere, we're very quick to be there to be a bystander. Things that God hates. Notice if you don't mind again, verse 16, Proverbs 6, 16. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift to running into mischief. Notice this, a false witness that speaketh lies. Isn't it interesting? God had already said lying, and now he says it again. Twice he says God hates lying. Now, if you're not familiar with things of the Bible, if God says something, it's important. If God repeats it, it is doubly important. If God repeats it in the same passage, it is a warning sign. God hates lying. God hates lying. But we live in such a lying society, it is part of our fabric of our DNA now. We exaggerate. We lie. There's a sin called guile. What's guile? Guile is telling the story in such a way where you exaggerate or emphasize or leave out information to either make me look better or make someone else look worse. How do you know we have guile? We practice our story before we say it. We work on how to say it, how to use the words right. We're so much of a lying society that we don't even catch how many times we lie. We make excuses. That's lying. We brag. We're lying. We're not being honest. 
we, we live in such a society that we wouldn't know what to do with someone if they were really honest. Now, I'm not trying to say that we need to be a type of people that has no filter on their mouth. I understand that. That's not what we're saying. Well, I'm just being honest. No, you're just full of yourself. It's not our job to correct everybody and to point out everyone's flaws. That's not what we're talking about. But with our own personal lives, the worst deception is self-deception. And we often lie to ourselves. We often will tell ourselves that we're better than what we really are. We'll often try to make excuses and justify our actions and what we do or why we don't obey. Let me just give something simple. I'm a pastor, been working in the ministry for 25 something years now. The excuses people give of why they can't read their Bible is outstanding. Just amazing to see what type of excuses people will give just for something simple about not reading their Bible. Then you start moving on to other stuff like church. Um, you guys have heard me talk about a preacher who knocked on someone's door and said, hey, I want to invite you to Sunday school. And the guy says, I can't. Well, why not? Well, there's a quarter of milk in the refrigerator. What does that have to do with anything? One excuse is good as another. If we would look at excuses like that, that's all it is is excusing our behavior. We're not being honest with ourselves. Why couldn't you obey the Bible? We come up with excuses. As someone has told our kids recently, excuses are lies. But they are. We're giving a reason why we couldn't obey and we're trying to, instead of just admit that we did wrong, just admitting that I didn't want to obey. I'd have more respect if someone just looked me in the eye. I just didn't want to read my Bible. Well, great, thanks. Appreciate your honesty. I could work with that. Rather than someone say, well, I couldn't read my Bible because of this and this. And then you understand that my talk shows came on where it was talking about how two women love the same man and that man is ugly on the next, you know. <laughs> They'll give all kinds of excuses. And no one wants to be honest about why we don't obey. Why we won't follow through. We lie to ourselves trying to justify that our actions were correct. And God hates lying. Notice there's one more thing on this list. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven or abomination to him. A proud look. A lying tongue. And hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift and are running into mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies, notice this, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. He that soweth discord among the brethren. If you haven't already done this before, write this in your Bible, in your margin, or your notes. What is this, he that soweth discord among the brethren? Write in big box card letter somewhere, gossip. Gossip. God hates gossip. But you know, gossip is the acceptable sin of the church. It means the church just turns a blind eye to gossip. God hates gossip. By the way, let's define our terms. What is gossip? Gossip is giving information to someone that can't do anything about it. Now, if <laughs> there is problem 
that needs to be taken care of, you bring it to their authority, not to someone else who can't do anything about it. For example, let's say that someone was causing a little bit of issues within the church. You don't go tell all the other church members, oh, you can't believe what so-and-so did. You should go to the pastor who's the proper authority who is able to do something about it. So if you're telling the pastor for the purpose that he needs to fix it or try to do something so he has the information to know what to do with it, that's not gossip. That's telling proper authority. That's what we should do. But to take that same information and deliver it to someone else sideways in the church, that is gossip. Did you know, according to the Bible, God considers gossip murder? Think about that. God considers gossip murder. I'm not going to turn it there, but for reference, Leviticus 19, 16 through 18. Leviticus 19, 16 through 18. It's character assassination. You're murdering someone's character. And it's not your job to do. God hates gossip. God hates gossip. But again, it is the acceptable sin of the church. Most churches have a gossip problem. Can you believe what she was wearing? Can you believe the pastor said that? Can you believe that they did this? Oh, I can't believe it all. They get to the place where gossip is a form of entertainment in a church. God hates gossip. You said, whoa, pastor, you're being kind of huff, hard. I wanted you to preach on abortion. I wanted you to preach on Democrats. I wanted you to preach on Republicans. I wanted you to preach on Washington. But this is the list that God gave. By the way, this is the things that we have an issue with. It is much easier to hate someone else's sin. It is a lot harder to hate the sins that I do. But this is the list that God gave. God hates these things. It puts in a different standard because we like to think that God like pats our behavior. Oh, it's okay. We often have a mindset that God is a grandfather up in the sky. Oh, it's okay. You can't help yourself. Here's a piece of candy. God hates sin. It makes God sick. We cannot underscore this. God hates sin. And all of these, if we were to be honest, if you were to be classified sins, all of these would be small sins. And yet it is these sins that God calls an abomination. The sins that you and I are guilty over. Perhaps we could do an illustration Remember that in the book of Proverbs, it gives a principle and that throughout the Bible, we could find a character that embodies this. Well, do you know there happens to be a person in the Bible that embodies all seven of these traits? Her name is Jezebel. Jezebel had a pride, proud look. She was famous for painting her face and adorning her hair. She even thought it would influence Jehu to change his mind. So when she found out Jehu was coming, she took time to put makeup on her face and to do her hair. A proud look. She had a lying tongue. There was a man by the name of Naboth 
who wouldn't give up his vineyard to King Ahab so much that Ahab went to his room and threw a fit like a little kid. <laughs> People tried to feed him. I can't eat. <laughs> Jezebel is told that the king's crying. She gets in there and yells at him and says, what are you doing crying? You're the king. Why are you crying like a little baby? Come on, grow up. What's the matter? Nabal would give me my finger and I asked him nicely and he wouldn't give it to me. He wouldn't share. He hurt my feelings. <laughs> she said, listen here, you big baby. I'll take care of this. You stay here and finish crying. I'll be the man of the house. And she went and hired people to lie against Naboth just so Naboth could be killed and Ahab could get his vineyard. She had hands that shed innocent blood. She was behind the murdering of God's preachers. And she tried to kill every preacher she could get her hands on. And she would have killed Elijah if he, she could just get his, her hands on him. She is guilty of killing many of God's innocent men of God. She had a heart that devised wicked imaginations. It was her evil heart that gave Israel over to an immoral idolatry far worse than the idolatry of Jeroboam. Her heart also planned the murder of Naboth, her wicked imaginations. You know, when it came to it, when Naboth told Ahab no, all he had the sense to do was cry like a little baby. I mean, when you see a two-year-old throwing a fit, you go, eh. Well, you see like a 35-year-old man crying in the bed. I can't eat and he's not. That's different, especially if he's going to be the king. Jezebel says, I'm going to take care of this. She, she was the one who made this plan. She's the one that put him together. That wicked Hillary. I mean, Jezebel. Her feet were swift into running into mischief. In uh, the story of Naboth, you should watch the word and. That word and in, in grammar is called a polysilidin. And what it does is it slows down the reading. And then when she is putting together the murder of Naboth, notice the word and over and over and over as it shows that she had meticulously planned this out, just quickly putting this together. She was swift to running into mischief. She demanded false witnesses be used to doom Naboth. They were hired and accused Naboth of blaspheming God when she was the one blaspheming God. But she hired these people to lie. And then she soweth discord. In fact, turn with me if you don't mind to 2 Kings chapter 9. See what Jehu has to say about Jezebel in the midst of this. 2 Kings chapter 9. Second Kings chapter nine and verse 22. Notice what Jehu had to say. And it came to pass when Joram saw Jehu that he said, is it peace, Jehu? And he answered, what peace? As long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts be so many. That's what Jehu had to say about this. Her witchcraft, she's bewitching people. She's causing them to have problems with each other. Jezebel just caused a mess and that she thrived in that chaos. And Jehu should know he was the general of her army. And now he's coming to take the kingdom because the prophet of God said, go take care of business. And so Jehu says, listen, I got a full charges over here. 
witchcraft is what we have to say. She soweth discord. Once again, God gives a list of little sins. So what do we do with such things? Well, that brings us to the Lord's Supper. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, we have the instructions for the memorial supper. Now at this time, the church of Corinth had been misusing and abusing the Lord's Supper. So the apostle Paul, with pen and paper in hand, writes a letter. He's correcting a lot of the behavior. There's a lot of things going on in this church the Lord's Supper being misused is just one of them. And so here he comes to straighten up the order, straighten things up. And he explains what the process, what the purpose of the Lord's Supper is. Notice with me, if you don't mind, as we start seeing this in um, verse number 20, just to give a good running start. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before his other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and drink in, or despise the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Now what had happened is that the church of Corinth had a lot of rich people, and a lot of not so rich people. And so when they said that they were going to come for the Lord's Supper, they would come and bring their own food. And so the rich people would have a big uh, turkey leg with mashed potatoes and gravy. And the poor people would just have like a little crusty old bread. And so they said, yeah, we're honoring the Lord. Eating away and the poor people are, okay, we're, we're honoring the Lord. And Paul says, no, 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 no. This isn't what's supposed to be done because your meals are now bragging on you. That's not what it's supposed to be. Notice as he says in verse 23, for I have received of the Lord that which I delivered unto you. Basically, he says, I, here's the instructions that were given to me. That the Lord Jesus, the same night which he betrayed, was betrayed, took bread. And when he was given, when he had given thanks, he break it and said, take eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he took the cup, which he had supped, saying, this cup is the new Testament in my blood. And do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. The first thing that we see about the Lord's supper, the memorial supper is that first of all, it is commemorative. It is commemorative that this is supposed to be done in remembrance of of Jesus Christ. That as we take the, the bread, the unleavened bread, that it's supposed to remind us that Jesus' body was broken for our sins. We see the cup, the fruit of the vine. It's supposed to be a picture of Jesus' blood that was shed because of our sin. We do this in remembrance of him. We also see and verse 26, for as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death. Notice this, it is pictorial. When we are eating and observing the Lord's Supper, we are not eating the real body of Jesus. We are not drinking the real blood of Jesus. All it is, is a picture. For example, in my wallet, I have a picture of my wife. It is not my wife. It's a picture of my wife. 
It's just to remind me of her. The Lord's Supper is a picture to remind us of what Jesus Christ had done for us. It is pictorial. In addition, notice in verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Notice this, it is prophetic. It shows the Lord's death until he comes. When we observe the Lord's Supper, you know what we're saying? Is that we believe Jesus Christ is coming back. That is our hope. Our hope is not that he died. It's that he died, he rose again, and he's coming back to do what he said he was going to do. That is our hope. That is what we're putting our trust in. A risen, living Savior. And that we're showing our faith that Jesus Christ is coming back as we observe this until he comes back and we see him face to face. Notice again, we see that it is symbolic. Symbolic. Now, there are some people who will teach that it is actually the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. There are others that teach that once it enters into our mouth, it becomes the body and blood of Jesus. For example, it's a cracker in, it's flesh (coughs) uh, inside. Outside, it's a cracker. Inside, it becomes flesh. There's no magical powers. All it is is a symbol. It's a picture And there to be a picture of purity. By the way, the idea that the bread is unleavened. Leaven is what we would call yeast. It is an additive put into bread to make it rise. That it every time leaven is used in the Bible, it is a picture of impurity, of corruption. Well, because Jesus is pure and was sinless, we use unleavened bread because of the picture. The same thing too. The Bible goes out of its way that every time it refers to the Lord's Supper, it always calls it the fruit of the vine. It never uses the word wine. Why? It doesn't want people to be confused with a misunderstanding. That it is to be freshly squeezed grape juice. Why? Well, the same thing. In order to make a beverage alcoholic, you have to add an element in there, mostly yeast or firmament to cause an impurity, to cause it to become alcoholic. We would use freshly squeezed grape juice, a grape juice of some kind, non-alcoholic, to show the purity of the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus is pure. By the way, it speaks about that earlier in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8. We're not going to turn there at this time. We're just seeing that it is (coughs) symbolic. In addition, the Lord's Supper is to be purifying. Notice with me in verse 27, 1 Corinthians 11, 27. Wherefore... Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, we know in a sense that we're all unworthy, that we're all sinners saved by grace, but that's not what it's speaking about here. What it's speaking about is that if we uh, approach the Lord's Supper without First, examining ourselves, making sure that we're as thoroughly right with God as we possibly can be. If there are sins that you know that you have in your life that you refuse to deal with, that's the idea of unworthily, that you refuse to deal with it. Notice the context in verse 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. What does that mean? That means that if you say, I don't care, 
<laughs> I can do whatever I want. No big deal. The Bible says danger, danger, because what you're doing is that you're running over why Jesus died. Why did Jesus die? To forgive you of your sins. He died so that way you could be cleansed of your sins and be thoroughly right with him. To say, I don't care, I'll do it however I want, is also saying that I don't care that Jesus died for my sins. It's not a big deal. You don't see sin as awful. Notice in verse 30, for this cause, for this reason, many are weak and sickly among you. And many sleep. Remember the word sleep is a nice kind Bible way of saying that they're dead. Here God says if somebody doesn't observe the Lord's Supper correctly, that they could become weak in body. They become sick in body. And that God could even get the place where he just starts killing people. Why? Because Jesus died to forgive us of our sins. And we can be thoroughly right with God. Remember that the two ordinances of the church have the same purpose. Baptism makes sure that only saved people are a member of the church. That means that the church becomes pure by baptism. Only saved people who are right with God become a member of the church. We follow that up with the Lord's Supper that keeps a church pure by letting that church examine themselves, making sure they're as right with God as possible. And if there's any sins that need to be dealt with that they're taking care of beforehand, it, may, it gives us a time where we examine ourselves and make sure we're as right with God as we possibly can. That's why 1 John 1, 9 is in the Bible. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That as a saved person, we confess our sins. By the way, that word confess doesn't mean we're telling on ourselves. It means we're agreeing with God with what he already knows. That if we just say, God, you pointed out tonight that I lie. You pointed out that my thought life is wrong. You pointed out that there's some issues in my life. And Lord, I'm agreeing with you that these things need to be taken care of. The best I know how, I'm asking you to forgive my sins and help me to have victory over these things in my life. God says that he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He'll scrub you clean. Oh, there's something amazing about being clean. What the Lord's Supper does is help keep a local congregation who's already saved, making sure they're as right with God as possible. This is why for us, we believe that only people who are a member of this local church should participate in the Lord's Supper because it is for this local church to make sure we're as right with God as possible and God can lead us now that we're right. That is the purpose of it. And so now we get to the examination part. God gave us a list of six things that the Lord hates, yea, seven are abomination to him. And he gave us that list. And without a doubt, one of those things, if not more of those things, God pointed out in your life. Why can I say that? Because we're all sinners. Those are the sins that we commit. But we have an opportunity now that God pointed that out in our life is that we don't have to stay that away. We can go to God and agree with him. Lord, this is my problem. Lord, I have a problem with pride. Lord, I have a problem with lying. Lord, I have a problem with gossip. Lord, I have a problem with my thought life. Lord, I have a problem that I want to go get in the middle of everyone getting in trouble 
rather than trying to be a help. Go to God and admit to him, this is what I did wrong. This is what I need help with. Could you give me victory over it? And as we confess our sins, he promised, and God can't lie, that he will forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lord's Supper is this time where we have the ability, the privilege to examine our own selves and make sure we're as thoroughly right with God as possible. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.